Today, you are going to get a front row seat to the incredible Sharks and Cheetahs career of the legendary Ollie LaRue. Ollie, welcome back to Front Row Rugby. Peter, always, always nice to chat to you guys. Yeah, let's see if we can entertain the crowd out there. I'm looking forward to it already. Ollie, let's begin in 1994 when you were playing for Orange Free State, as they were called in those days. Uh, you guys actually topped the table, hosted the Curry Cup final against Transvaal, but then actually received a little bit of a hiding that day. Why do you think that was? Yeah, it was actually uh, interesting. You know, that side that we lost to in 94 nearly won the World Cup in 1995. Um, I think there were some proper players there. Uh, Andy Miller, Peter Miller, Kubis, um, Visha, uh, uh, yeah, Uli Schmidt was playing. Uh, you had uh, um, um, Johan Roo, uh, Franz Chapina, obviously. So, so they were a tough side. Huh? And uh, we were a young side and, and, and we lacked a bit of experience. Um, and I think what happened is uh, it, it was a bit of a... a Tough time because we had that myself and us in the team, and they wanted they needed to play both of us. <clears throat> and uh, big mistake that they then made because I could play hooker. Uh, uh, they said okay, and they played me hooker for that game, and and they they put knocker Drotsky on the bench. They didn't have the guts to drop us. They didn't have the guts to drop me. So it was a bit of a it was a, a bit of a. Um, uh, um, Anti-climax, I must be honest, because we were we were a bit better team than that. And we also, the night before the game, one of our locks, Peter Kluter, got very, very sick. Um, because the game was slightly different in those days. We were amateurs, so it was, it was a bit more, um, a bit, it's very different, you know. And, and, and they, it, you needed a, a tough guys up front. And I think losing a guy like Andre Kluter cost us a lot. And then, the, you know, who's playing? Oli uh, or, you know, okay, let's put Oli on and, and, and put Noka. Put him on the bench. I think it just created a bit of disunity in the side, uh, and and we still played well. But that that was a proper 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 alliance team. Uh, you know, Kitch Christie was uh, their coach. They they had really built something proper, and uh, they came they came very focused. Uh, they totally outplayed us, and it was tough. It was it was physical as well. I remember in the first uh, uh, one of the first uh, ruck uh, scrums, uh, the next one I just heard a, a first. We uh, connect uh, Uli Schmidt next to me, and it was Kubis Visa trying to hit me, and uh, he, he hit Uli. Eh? So the next, uh, I realized, okay, do you want to do that? I told the ref, ref, I'm telling you, he's trying to hit me, and if he hits me, I'm going to kick him in the face in the next scrum. I promise you, okay. And luckily, no more punches were thrown after that because that was the only way you could defend yourself. They kicked back in the face with a studge, you know. Uh, but, it, but it was a tough game, and they were a tough team, huh? a really tough team, and a well-deserved win for them. Huh? I always tell people, as a, uh, it was the first time I actually shaved my hair into, uh, and, I, and, I, and I put OVS in the back of my head. And uh, it was something that, like, even to this day, that haircuts get, that haircut uh, is remembered by people. Uh, because uh, in, today, it's like the norm, but those days, it was a bit, uh, bit out, out there, you know. Um, you were sitting... so, but it was an amazing um, experience playing my first Gary Cup final. You were setting a trend, Oli. Uh, so tell me then, how did it come about that you went and joined Natal? We, we in 95, uh, 94, I played my first test uh, as well. Um, and it was the first time I ever got dropped from a team, was playing after playing a test. And it was it was quite a tough one. But then we went to New Zealand um, and uh, uh, I, I got called up. Johan LaRue was in that biting incident. And uh, the next minute we, uh, we decided... Um, uh, it was 95. I really had a good season. We were playing well. I was basically in, in, a, in a place where we could, uh, um, you know, I was, I, was, I was playing good rugby and it was between me and Oster all the time, you know, and, uh, 
and us being a good player, me being a different person, was a conundrum between the two of us because we were both really, really good rugby players. And uh, and and, and uh, also had a lot of favour with Kitch and the guys. And the next minute, um, we uh, I came back. Uh, the World Cup was there, and we played a game. It was actually a funny game. Uh, one of the best chirps in my life. We, we played in the old Northwest and those old chicken coops stands and everything. And the next minute, uh, I was standing behind the poles with my hands on my uh, on my on my on my knees, and with the number one on my back and one of the, the free state red socks and black pants. You know, so you can see the picture. And one of the crowd shouted, "Oli Larue, you look like a piggy bank." But in Afrikaans, "Oli Larue, you like just a spar farke." So it was one of the best chirps I ever heard, and I wasn't too eloquent with my chirp back. And uh, they, then they disciplined me somehow without ever chatting to me because I, you know, and, and, and they dropped me for a guy with the name of Henry Bossel. And like nothing against Henry, but really, bro, you're not even in my league, you know. And 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 I looked at this, and it was like maybe dropped in my life. Now I got dropped from a test side, and 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 now this they dropped me for Henry Bossel, who I don't even know who the hell this like is. And that night I was sitting at home. I think I was still smoking a cigarette, and my phone rang. I still had the normal phones and. Hello, hello, master. Uh, Ian McIntosh on the other side. He said, Oli LaRue, what are you doing? I said, I'm sitting here uh, getting, getting ready for a party. He says, do me a favor. Uh, I'd like you to come play for Natal. I'm looking for a hooker. Uh, and because uh, uh, um, uh, uh, I was looking for backup for John Allen. And uh, he knew me. And uh, from there, he said, okay, let's go. And uh, the next minute, uh, I went down with Auntie Martins and uh, got down there, had a negotiation. I, I still think. They paid me 90,000 Rand in those days. Yeah, there was a lot of money to come down. And uh, we were amateurs. We weren't allowed to accept it. And it was a good deal. I think we got a car and I don't know what else. And uh, what was amazing, I got down. I told you, Macintosh, I said, Mac, I'm telling you, there are a couple of players here that you must bring. They're not getting chances in the free state. They're good players. So I brought uh, Rassi Erasmus, Werner Schwannepoel, um, uh, Toki Kasselman and the guy VF Isaki, four of the, the guys that were playing with me at that stage, down to come play for the Collegians Club. They came, they played, and the next week, he's no man, you brought these folks down, and now they've picked them to make sure that they don't leave the province. And now they're a much better bloody team with Rassi and Smiley in the team. So I firmly believe I gave them their breakthrough as well, uh, going down to Natal. And what was amazing is, um, I think as a player in those days, you know, you, you always look for a father figure, somebody that that can that can guide you. And Ian McIntosh was that kind of guy for me. You know, he was a guy that could handle the the the, the intensity of the individual that I that I am. And he he was a father figure that could also keep you humble. And when you, your head gets a bit big, he, he would have that chat with you. I remember the one day I had a meeting with him at, at half past eight, and and uh, uh, I went in and he had a, he had a full go at me saying. Who do you think you are not greeting the the, the 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 secretaries? You know, what makes you big enough to, to not greet people and be this? And he had a stern talk to me, and, and it was a good talk. And I came out, and the next minute, Mark Andrews was saying, say, what is now? I've got to see Mac, and Mac had the same call, uh, talk with him, you know? So he was the kind of guy that that, that, that that had a massive influence on me as a human being. And uh, and it was an amazing journey, you know, that 1990s uh, Sharks era with the people that were playing there. And, and what they built and what we stood for with that Super 12 was one of the most incredible um, um, times of my rugby career. And, and especially the Sharks and the fans, um, it didn't end nicely. But but whenever I go back and I look at those really, really good memories, it was an amazing time in my in, in, in to be 
living as a student in Ushlanga Rocks with my with my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. You know, we were like living like students and and, and getting paid for traveling the world. So um, the Sharks was really something uh, close to my heart. Even to this day, when you see the guys and, and they, they, there's a bond, uh, they're a very different bond, especially because of the amateur status that we were and we came over the, to the professional. Uh, that, that was a big jump. Oli, you mentioned there the Super 12, and we were talking a little bit about the amateur era and becoming professional. In 1996, there was a new competition called the Super 12. You would have played, I think, in the Super 10 as well. How much different was the Super 12 compared to the Super 10? Sure, no, it was a massive different competition. Uh, The Super 12, in my view, is probably one of the best competitions of world rugby ever had. Because and, and what few people understood about the first two Super 12s, and uh, with the first three, but I think it was the first two, we played midweek games. And uh, the next minute, we, um, we, we, we played midweek games. So you would go on tour just for three weeks, but you'd play four games. So we played a lot more rugby in those days. We, I remember in 1994, we went on tour, uh, and we had 30 players on tour. That was it. You didn't have 36 players with 70 backup. With, and we had a, the coaching staff was five. So the whole touring squad, I think, was 36 or 37. Um, and, and it was a very different uh, way then. And then what happened when the Super 12 came, uh, because it was still amateur, I still remember in playing in the final, the guys were waiting outside the gates for the tickets to open the night before. There was the, there was the rows around the stadium to go buy tickets to go watch this game, and obviously it was it was such an amazing tournament because you actually saw the best of these countries playing against each other, but quickly. So you could be playing a game on Saturday, you'd have a bye, and you play the next Saturday, but you'd have a team that would play three games in that time. So the next minute, the other games would be top of the log, and you'd be fourth or fifth. So it was a it was a very quickly uh, log, and what I found is yeah, the, uh, the player welfare got a bit bad, and you know. But I love playing rugby. But yeah, the training fucks me up. <laughs> but, you know, the training was always the, the, the tough part. Because if you play rugby, you get fit. You play, you hard, you're used to it. But then you got to go train. And I think that was the fun of the Super 12. It was tough on the bodies, I must be honest. And, and we had one or two injuries, big injuries. But um, if you had enough squad depth, um, it was actually very... I think we finished playing in May. And we still had three Curry Cup games before this Tri-Nations started in 1996. And uh, an amazing story, that Tri-Nations was also quite interesting because we, uh, uh, I'll tell you a lot about that bit later in 1996 with Andre Markroff. That was also quite a, quite a tour. Um, and, and what was nice about that, that Super 12, the Brumbies made a big uh, breakthrough with Rod McQueen. Rod McQueen and Ian McIntosh were good friends. So, so there was a lot of... Um, how do you call it? Uh, uh, in, like a, a bit of, um, you'd actually meet people from other countries that you were never allowed to meet. It was like a whole thing. And an interesting thing is, we hated the flipping Auckland Blues. A year we hated them. It was always this derby between us and the Auckland Blues. And it got so bad that Zinzanbrook one day had an after match function. Remember then, every time after match function, all the speeches and all that stuff. And um, and he said, guys, 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 we must stop stop going so hard at each other because this isn't rugby. We, we, it's getting a bit personal. Huh? So so it was very aggressive in those days. And uh, and you know, Zinzanbrook, that New Zealand size, proper size that we played against, and and it was tough. Uh, you tour, you know, those days. How do you get the people out of hotel fatigue? So it was all this amazing new adventure of professional rugby that we didn't have a clue what to do. And uh, you know it was funny. In 1997, we played in the in the, in the Super 12. Just to show you our change, and we had a midweek game against the Queenstown First 
club side because McIntosh Mac- Mac- said our reserves didn't play enough rugby. So he got the reserves to play a club game with their second team players against the first team club side in Queenstown. That would never, ever happen today. The people are too scared. What if you break? But in those days, it was simple. You know, you've got to play rugby. The only way you get contact is to play rugby. Um, so today, that will never happen. The guys are much more scientific in the way they do stuff. But but it was it, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful era and some good fun at the era. Tell me, Ollie, we've seen since 1996 with our teams going overseas. I mean, obviously now there isn't super rugby for South African teams anymore. But in that era... Almost every year, South African teams would go to Australia and New Zealand and lose the majority of the matches. And we see the Springboks go to Australia and New Zealand every year and also struggle. Why is that? Well, firstly, you're playing top, top, top individuals, top guys. You don't go just into a guy's home, open his fridge and take a Coke. You know, it takes offense, you know. So you're going into and And touring is difficult because touring, everybody can play rugby. But the unity on tour, you, you've got a lot of time together. You know, if there's a bit of, uh, to get the, the, the dynamics in the team quite well. So all the good touring teams always, always had good team dynamics, you know. And, uh, and, 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 and that's what I found sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough traveler. You're traveling over lots of time zones. That was always a factor. Um, you're away from home for a long time. So, so, so you needed a, a good blend of players and you needed, we, we were always successful because we, at the Sharks, we had a bit of a free, uh, you know, it, it was good fun for us and, and we'd always have a lot of games that we played and we'd, 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 be, we'd be very social on tour. Uh, but also, our, we kept our training volumes low. It was very difficult because you didn't know how to adapt to this new environment. And uh, and, and I think that's what, the, what it, it takes one thing just to lose a bit of focus, you know. And now the problem also is, you got a certain rhythm at home. Now you're overseas. Now the coach is going, yeah, now I've got you. Now I can train you. So often guys would be overtrained. And uh, what was interesting, um, in nine, 2003, uh, Scott Robinson came over with the Crusaders. And uh, he loved surfing. And we were friends. So I t- uh, um, hey, Scotty, can we have a coffee? He says, yeah, let's go for a surf. So we went for a surf on the, say, the, the, the Monday afternoon. He says, yeah, let's go for a surf tomorrow morning. And Tuesday, I said, oh, fine. He phoned me at about 11 o'clock. So hey, let's go for a coffee. The Wednesday, I said, Bru, do you guys ever train? He says, no, we have a session on Monday, a session on Tuesday, and then we've got a couple of voluntary gym sessions because the guys need to rest. So our attitude was, yeah, we got the guys in two, and now we've got to train. With the New Zealanders, was absolutely to rest. you know. And I think that it takes time to get used to traveling and to get that experience. I think that was a big issue for us at that stage. How do you do that at the end of the day? And uh, it was a working process. Today, you can see... There's no real issue. The guys go in out, know what they have to do, understand the science in the body, how to nutrients and how to fly, what to do. I think in those days, we would still get pissed on the plane flying over there and back. You know, that's how crazy it was. Nowadays, you'd never see that. The guys are, are, are it's a whole world out there. Uh, but, but we had a lot more fun than the guys today, that I promise you. Oli, before I move on to 1997, tell me the Mark Croft story from 96. 1996. So Andre Mark Croft is his Springbok coach. And uh, we have a game just before the team gets announced against Transvaal. That full on side playing the shark side. So it was proper rugby. I actually watched the game a, a while ago again. And uh, the next minute, James Small was telling Oaks stuff about their mothers and I don't know what else. And uh, the next minute, he, uh, 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 Eni LaRue and them were having a go. It was just crazy. But James, James was a bit, uh, he, he, was, he was under the belt. So Eni LaRue said in the report, they refused to play with James Swall. Okay, so, okay, that's cool. 
so but James Mills in the Springbok squad, you know, now there's the, this bit of a drama, you know, the, and James said bad things about their mothers, but it's like what James would do, but we won the game, so stuff you. And then the next minute, uh, we were sitting in the room and Andre Markov uh, called James. Okay, so James, I went, now me and Andre Jubey were sitting there and uh, and he came back after about 45 minutes, an hour, so hey, bro, what happened? What happened? He said, ah, you know, uh, Markov told me that, you know, he's got the... Um, He's got my career in the palm of his hand and he can now make it or break it, you know. And I said, oh, yeah, Bruce, what did you say? He says, no. I said, you know, you're the first Springbok coach that just said that to me. So uh, perspective is a quite interesting thing because that person has so much power over you, but five coaches before that said it to James Swan. So that was quite an interesting story to remember. And I think as it turns out, a year later, there had been another two Springbok coaches. So it just puts things into perspective. Ollie, um, while I was preparing for this interview, um, while I was preparing for this interview, I was um, looking at some of the highlights from some of those Curry Cup finals, 1995 and 96. And I didn't actually see you on the field. I, I couldn't find a team sheet, though. Did you play in those finals or were the other guys maybe just ahead of you or there was an injury? I played in 95, but 96 I was injured. So I was in the squad the whole season, but I, I, I got injured towards the end. So I missed the 96 final. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was a bit of a sad one for me because that was one of the better finals that the Sharks played. I think that season we went undefeated and we changed the whole way that rugby was played, the, the way we played. And then and, and, and the, just, it was just a different level. Uh, so the 96 season was one of the better seasons for the Sharks. Unfortunately, I was just injured for that final. And speaking of changing everything, the Sharks were actually quite brilliant in terms of marketing. They were Natal and the Banana Boys, and then they became the Sharks. And with that, in the Super Rugby especially, every year there was a different shirt. A new kit came out every season. I'm interested to hear from you, Ollie. From the fans' point of view, it's actually very exciting every year getting the new shirt, the new jersey. But how do the players feel about that stuff? A jersey's a jersey, yeah. You don't really play as long as it's not too tight and it doesn't share your stomach. You're actually all right, you know. And, uh, and there's a lot of pride in the jersey, but today it's become a big marketing thing, you know. And, and it's something that people want to sell jerseys and do that kind of stuff. So 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 in the old days, you, you would get one jersey a season or whatever. You had to play a certain amount of games. And uh, But today it's, it's it's become very different. And, and, and to have a different jersey, you know, the jersey, it means a lot. But it's more the badge and the team that's behind the jersey. You know, I think, and, and we have to adapt uh, the way that uh, money is a big part of the game, and, and, and you got to, you got to, you know, if jerseys change and it, it keeps the fans in, involved, and it, uh, and, and some of those jerseys are jerseys that that, that we had some proper wins in, huh? but uh, I, the, the traditional stuff was always good. I, I enjoyed the traditional, just the normal colours, and when they did all these fancy colours and stuff, it wasn't really really bother me. But it's not something that that uh, that, that 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 I think um, will ever go away. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? I'll put the link on the screen as well as in the description box and a QR code on the screen for you as well. There will be great benefits for members. Let's get back to the interview. Let's go back to the Curry Cup. In 2000, you guys were in the final, lost to Western Province at uh, Kings Park. 2001, lost again to Western Province, that time at Newlands. And then in 2003, again in the final, uh, that time losing to the Blue Bulls, who were on quite a hot streak at the time. Did it feel to you at that stage, given that the Sharks had also lost the Super 12 final in 96, that Oli LaRue is not allowed to win a final? Not at all, eh? not at all. The thing is, to get to finals is is, 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 is is proper. And I've been in a lot of finals, so I've been part of a lot of successful teams. But to win a final, you've got to have a lot of things that go wrong and you've got to limit a lot of mistakes. And what I found with the Sharks, we, we actually played 
good rugby. If you watch those finals, we actually really, really played good rugby. And, uh, and, and, and they were finals that we lost. We were never beaten in those finals. 94, we were beaten in the final. That was different. Um, when we beat the, the Super 12, we were beaten in that final, you know. So, so the guys were really better for us on the day. But, but those two finals were finals that I always look back at and go, yes, we should never have, we lost those finals. There was a couple of bad decisions made. I think, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the one game, I think John Smith went off and, and I had to be captain and, 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 and we didn't have a good succession planning in, in place there because, you know, it wasn't really thought of. Um, and and uh, uh, I think he had concussion or something. I can't remember. And then in the other final that we played, I always remember one of the toughest Oaks I ever scrummed against was Kurs Visaki. He was really proper. And, uh, and I still remember that was the one day where, where I got I got a massive uh, upside on him. I think I got two or three penalties. In the, in after the game, Andre Watson was there and he says, "Yes, Oli, today you actually annihilated Kurs Visaki." I should have given you five penalties. I said, but how could you not have given me five penalties? Because I earned them. And that, that was sad because I think uh, we were really strong in those finals. And what was interesting when we when we lost, the, the, the we, we were never really, to be in a final, you've got to be so focused. You've got to be so in the moment. You've got to be so um, switched on. And, and what happened when I then went to the uh, Cheetahs in 2005, after the 2004 and everything that happened there, um, with Russia and them, okay. With Russia, I actually understood. I started understanding finals better, how to win finals, what we have to do. Because they, he also lost in the final. I think 2004, he lost, but was his last game. So there was a bit of payback for the for the Bulls there as well. But 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 getting to finals is one thing, but winning them, you've got to be really on point, keep low percentages going, and have a very very good uh, 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 defensive system, and know what to come in and out and take your your chances. And a little bit of luck has to go your way. So. Um, and that's why that cigar in 2005 was such a, a, a awesome experience because coming from where we were, having lost these finals, uh, getting to that point where you just and then to actually had to win it against one of the toughest teams that probably ever played Curry Cup rugby. If you look at that that Bulls side and how prop, how, how strong they were, and to win it with a couple of like youngsters and, and a couple of old men from the Free State that had one common goal. Um, you know that that was a really really special experience, and 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 I think losing finals also also makes the ones that you win very special. Ali, we're going to talk about that uh, Curry Cup victory by the Cheetahs and the Cigar in a moment. But before that, you mentioned there the story about you leaving the Sharks and rejoining the Cheetahs. Share that with us, please. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a saga there. Uh, we were. Um... It was a long, it's a bit of a long story, uh, but I got, I broke my ankle uh, in 2002 at the end of the year, just before in the, in the semi-final, on the, the game before the semis, and then I was coming back the next year, and uh, Kevin Putt, um, they were struggling hard, I think it was for Saki and the Storm has really annihilated the the, 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 the Sharks back, um, uh, yeah, up in, I think it was at Holocaust's field, and uh, the next minute Kevin Putt came to me and said, listen here, I, I have to play. I said, but I can't. I haven't played. I'm not fit enough. I, you know, and uh, he said, no, no, don't worry. He'll just give me 20 minutes or whatever. So I came and I sorted out the scrum and we played. And on the fifth game, I got caught in a very bad ruck position trying to steal the ball. And Anton Oliver cleaned me from the side. So he twisted me. And I had a, I tore like my hamstring from, from like the, the aponeurotic tear. So the two hamstrings tear from each other. So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult injury to manage. And, uh, so I was going there, playing, and the next minute, uh, they uh, uh, I, I 
got back playing at the end of the season, but but I then started struggling with that that injury. It's like a difficult injury. So the end of the year we go and we play in the fi- in the final, and the week before uh, you never played without a contract, and uh, I had an agreement with uh, Brian Van Sale, which was a CEO at the time, that as long as I can play good rugby, there'll be a contract for me at the Sharks. Well, I never like to play. I always like to have a two-year contract. You always have a year extension, you know. And then after the final, we lost the final. That uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't good. Um, um, uh, we really played badly, and the Bulls were uh, they they were building on that 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 side of theirs. And uh, with Heineken, they were they were just a, they were a better team than us, but we were we weren't good on the day. And uh, and then that uh, Monday, you get the DCM. Don't come Monday. Kevin Putt had a meeting, and just before me, Justin Swartford out, and I said. And he said, yeah, no, bro, they're going to shoot you. I said, really? Because that was not the agreement. And the next minute, uh, yeah, Kevin Pudge said, sorry, you haven't got a contract. I say, I tried to fight for the contract, long story short. Um, uh, and I said, and they gave me fitness standards that I had to be at and all that kind of stuff. And trained hard, got back uh, December. And uh, yeah, I think I was two kilograms overweight. And I ran my fifth 40 meter in 0.58 instead of, yeah. 0.58 instead of 0.5 and on that they basically they said they're not giving me a contract so that's the guy's stuff trying to get back here and there but I'll swaste the brain he also stabbed me in the back badly you know and uh, then I just uh, stopped and what was amazing at the end of the year Rossi and then played in the final and I phoned him and I congratulated him and said yes, good luck you know it's a tough game there at Loftus and it was his last game and he said Oli what are you doing next year I said no I'm going to try and play club rugby and see if I can get back and he said yeah but don't worry uh is going to be with a box. I've got a good little player, um, Vian um, Depria, but I need backup. So I said, oh, what the hell, let's go. I had my chicken family in Bloemfontein and, 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 and I made the move, played for the Cats that season. And uh, yeah, what a blessing it was. Huh? It was it was really traumatic leaving the Sharks. I remember the, the day when I actually packed up and I left. Uh, I got to Harry Smith and it looked like I'd sweated like the tears had come down my throat because you had spent a lot of time with that. With that. You know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't nice. And there were other things that happened where guys stabbed me in the back that was a bit uh, a bit sad. And a couple of them wrote books and they told stuff in the books, but they never told the truth. And uh, that's that's very sad. And today, today people think they're heroes, which they are. But in my life, uh, it was it was just sad to see how you got, you know. And, and, and what I learned, which was interesting, we, it was very brutal when we were younger because uh, you were just a commodity. If you don't play this game, see your next game, get the next play in. But then from there, they started actually um, managing players and how to exit their careers and stuff, which was a good thing because in our days, it was simple. Uh, we're not picking you anymore. See you later. And, and, and that was tough. Um, but what was nice is the opportunity that came out of that, uh, some of the best times ever at the Sharks. And then obviously going to the Cheetahs, uh, these young guys. That, and uh, Russi's first thing was his guys, let the main thing stay the main thing. And uh, it's what you do between the two four white lines and that the sharks at one stage it got very um oh what are you eating what are you doing it wasn't about playing rugby it was about all the stuff around it that you had to do well and, and that means nothing it's what you do between the four white lines you know and uh and, and yeah it, it, was, it was a tough time then with the cheetahs we had such a nice um uh, three years golden years there and uh and uh the i don't think we ever lost to the sharks again and uh and there's an interesting story about the sharks that nobody knows in 2007 <coughs> there was a uh, so I ought to explain it to you, but there was there was there was something wrong with the sharks, okay? But it was more on a on a on a um call it a spiritual level. There was there was negativity and stuff that was there. And uh, and and I had a long chat to Dick Meir about it. And it's funny enough, a little Australian and, and they uh 
they changed a couple of things, and from there, they had actually one of their best seasons ever. So as hard as it was, as much as you presented the thing, we, you know, we still love the Sharks, and, and, and you couldn't let them just sit in that negative energy for too long. Huh? So, uh, yeah, good journey that. And what's nice, I've recently been going back to the Sharks and seeing some of the old people, and and uh, and uh, yes, it was good. It was good times there. Good times. Oli, we spoke a little bit earlier about how unlucky you were losing a Super 12 final in 96 and then the Curry Cup final. Uh, a couple of times uh, there was uh, 90, uh, 99, 2000, 2001, 2003, 2005. You win the Curry Cup with the Cheetahs. How happy were you at that moment? Yeah, I think what people don't realize about you don't just win a final. You build up into it and you and you have to have a band of brothers. You have to go through challenges and and the funny thing was, people didn't realize we lost to, uh, we beat Bueland by two points. We beat Krikos um, 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 by two points. We beat this, we, we were like this tough street fighters and every game was a bun fight and we had to jaw, you know. And we were a tough outfit. And, and what was nice, Rossi was, a, was a, um, you know, a coach that we can see today, but he was still beginning. So a lot of the stuff that we did was was very, um, very, um, I knew it was, it was, it was, it not we trained in my whole life. I've never trained that hard. And the most amazing thing of that whole final, that last try that we scored, where Mayor Bosman scored, and nobody will know this. We learned this from, from the Bulls. They always kick high and deep. And if you catch that ball, you must start driving and you must drive all the way to the halfway line. Then we kick it up and under. And when we kick that up and under, the 12 runs right, the six runs left, and the wing goes for the ball. And just before that, uh, um, uh, uh, Brian Abana got sent off. Uh, there was it was an ugly game, and, and uh, the ref said the next act that causes trouble. And Brian Abana just had an absolute brain fart. It's like he was untouchable, and he just did something so stupid, and he was off. So then their back three was a bit unstable, and that allowed us to put the kick up, and the kick was perfect, and uh, it bounced exactly in Mayer's hands. And what nobody sees is <clears throat> right after that, um, Jock came running, and he said. Guys, now we must tackle, but you understand, all, all the forwards were on the ground. We were stuffed. And we got up there and we just, for that next eight minutes, we played. Kabamba Fleurs came on, 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 onto that court uh, uh, field. And, and yeah, I remember Donny Rousseau got the ball and he, and he was running at me. And I'm like, going, okay, yes. And as I was still trying to man up, Kabamba smoked him from the side. Yes, it, it was just uh, it was just such a team effort. And, and and to have that victory against such an amazing side as that bull sides was, and for what we had built, you know, it was it was it was one of the greatest victories uh, and, and 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 experiences of my whole rugby career. And, and even to this day, when we see each other, there's just a different uh, there's just a different um, brotherhood between between us and, and the whole experience that we had. An incredible season. Very special indeed. Now, Oli, uh, you mentioned earlier that picture of you with the cigar. I've also got a picture of you with a cigar after South Africa won the Tri-Nations in 1998. So I have to ask you, is it something that you only did in victory celebrations or are you a fan of cigars? No, no, what's interesting, and that's a story about the cigar that nobody knows. In 1998, we had gone to New Zealand in 1994. We had gone there. And we had, nobody had beaten New Zealand, and 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 uh, and and we beat we won beat them in that game in Athletic Park, and uh, the next minute, Rian uh, 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 Uberolse was sitting there, and he says, "Oli," and he was having having a cigar, and, he says, and I said, "Yeah, I like a cigar." He says, "Oli, this is a, this uh, this this celebration deserves a um, cigar because 
people don't understand how tough it is to beat New Zealand here. And in my whole career, I smoked two cigars. The one was that one against the All Blacks, because that was a massive mountain that we had climbed. And the next one uh, was in in, in, in that uh, 2005 final. You know, because, and, and, and it sounds funny, but it just, that was the most well-deserved cigars I've ever had in my life. I think that was the only two. <laughs> Last time I had you on Front Row Rugby, you told me that you could tell me a couple of stories about Rassi Erasmus. Uh, I'm going to start. How did the players react to the disco lights? <laughs> so what was interesting with the disco lights, what, what, how it happened, uh, my recollection, and my brother, we were playing a trial game. And, uh, and and we had all these moves and the new guys coming in and, and you know, it, it's just so much information. And then I told Rassi, Rassi, just, just, just show us a cone or something that we know what you, because if I'm on the other side of the field and I've got to listen to this guy, it's a long chain of command. And he stood before the game and he says, okay, guys, when there's a break, I'm just going to hold up this cone. What does it mean? He said, well, that's a blue. We can drive. This one's orange. What does that mean? We eat up and we kick or whatever, you know. And he actually, and it actually worked so well. The whole team was on unity, on par, and uh, and then from there, Rassi then goes to the next level because now he can actually <laughs> he can start now doing combinations. So we can do a blue with a red with a black. Yes. Yeah, so eventually, and that's where the disco lights came on. And the funniest thing was the one day he's standing there, but we like all like like we can't understand and we can't see and we're doing the wrong stuff and, and the sun was setting behind him and we couldn't see the lights. So there was a plus and a minus, but the whole the whole idea of it is if we are, if you're visual and I'm far away and I can't speak to you by showing you something that we can speak to each other about, like, like by visually, you, there's much more unity. And you can see he's even doing it at the World Cup. Why? why? Because it, it immediately, everybody looks up, see the number, and they know what it is. There's no more talking. So it's just a simple chain of command. If you think, uh, if you go do any war, the the guys, the intelligence guys, the guys with the with the, with the communications are the most important. Because if all of us do the same thing, we're on unity. Um, what's going to stop us? Nothing. And I think that's where Rossi. Um, he then went to the storm. Is funny enough, and he didn't use it there. And, and we we asked him why not, and he said there was it was difficult there. He said it was a difficult thing, but the fact that he's using it again shows there's definitely value in it. But you, but but the way that you use it must. It can maybe overpower, you know, because what a coach doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to, you, you want to coach the players to be able to play with freedom, but then you can micromanage this whole team in doing just what you want to do. So they become like robots and that's very dangerous for the game. I, I'm a very critical of Jake White's winning way because, uh, yeah, it's winning, but it doesn't, I've never been excited about the type of rugby that it brings because it's these three guys run there, these three, there's no... Let's just play and see what happens. How do we get into a place of momentum? I'm a much bigger um, philosopher of the game of the Ian McIntosh, Rod McQueen, um, where we play with flow and people just play with when the ball's there, you go. You don't wait to put up a structure to play rugby. You actually just play rugby and structures just there to get you together again to, to, as a starting point. Um, and I think that, that, that that's been lost a bit in, in, in the modern game, um, how to play in flow. And, and what's interesting, especially at the smaller levels, because if, if you've got a lot of structure with small kids, they're always thinking what they're going to do wrong. But if they just play, catch the ball and pass or run or whatever, they just start loving and having fun. And I think uh, that, that there's, there's always positive and negative, but that, that's a big thing with the, with the lights. And, and, and you must also remember with Rassi Erasmus, Hey, bro, take guts for a coach to sit there and to have the plan. And, and he takes responsibility. Huh? He sits and he takes responsibility. And I think a few other coaches out there, 
uh, it makes them nervous because if they make the wrong call, you know, it's their, it's their baby, not the, the, the players anymore. So I believe we're going to see a lot more of this in different ways um, because it's definitely the way to get your team to do what, to be on unit uh, uh, from, from the, the kickoff. All right, Ali, uh, is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us from your time, either with the Sharks or the Cheetahs or even both? Funny moments, there are a dime a dozen <laughs> that you must always remember. And I told you the one about the piggy bank that was always uh, uh, one of the funniest stories that that, uh, that I was with. But, uh, you know, if you look at a bunch of rugby players, they're always having a bit of fun, you know, and there's always guys doing stuff. But one of the funniest things was right in the beginning, old Ian McIntosh, he was still with videos. So you had the videos and they had to do this, that, and and, and the guys didn't want to sit in a in in room for two hours watching videos, you know, so they they did it. And the one day Mac came, but we saw the remote. There were two remotes, so we took the one that was working, and we and, and Dick Mir sat with it at the back. And Ian McIntosh was sitting with the remote. He's like, "Hey guys, I've got this right. Are you ready? Let's go." And he pressed play, and then Dick Mir presses fast forward. <laughs> you see McIntosh going, and it was actually funny. For about fifteen minutes, we were uh, Dick Mir was messing him around, and Mac was getting frustrated. And you could see, so that was a that was really really good fun uh, uh, that we had, and then. Uh, Obviously, when you when you, when you're at that level, there's there's stuff that uh, that just happens, you know. And and then our coaches, at the end of the day, how they relate to it. And one thing about Rusty is he always laughed. So so one of the funniest things that Rusty would always do, he'd have a way that he would penalise the team, you know. And what he would do is he would tell them um, run a four hundred. Okay, so the worst thing in your whole life to do with me is to tell me to run a four hundred because I'm dying. It just doesn't work. And the one day we go and Rassi goes and the team's not playing well. And the next one he says, run the 400, all of you, run the cones. Yeah, and the Oaks run. And the next minute he says, and the last two guys go again. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he says, as he said it, he looked at me and us and both of us just shook our heads. And said, oh, yeah, we're going to be definitely be lost. And he just laughed and he said, no, 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 let it go. And, and you know, that's the fun part. We can actually realize sometimes uh, on the on the court, on the field, what 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 you know what you're actually doing at that moment is quite funny. And and, and that's the one thing about Russ. He really he really loves the game. He loves to have a joke. He loves to. He doesn't take it seriously. But 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 um, and he's always tough on the principle and soft on the person. So 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 he's really been one of the characters out there. And uh, some of the stories I don't think I can share on YouTube, but <laughs> it's about the parental guidance and everything, you know, the story. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Ali, uh, let's finish off one last question. What are you up to these days? Yeah, as I'm sitting here, I'm actually quite blessed. I'm sitting here watching my daughter playing tennis. And she just won uh, the doubles in the tournament. And then, uh, yeah, I'm part of uh, Optimum Financial Services, doing mergers and acquisitions and, 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 and a lot of insurance type uh, uh, financial products. And then trying to uh, trying to uh, trying to uh, keep the family going uh, at the end of the day. So uh, we uh, we we living in the free state. Uh, very blessed. Oli, an absolute pleasure as always having you on Front Row Rugby. Thank you for being available again, and I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Hundred percent. Just be there. God bless. Bye bye.